0: You're listening to the Mobcast Network. And roll sound, sound speeds, marker, and action. Welcome to Between
1: the Line, the filmmaking podcast that navigates between professionalism and fandom, the technical
0: and the creative, success, and we are your hosts, Horst Rubin and Drew Hall. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us as always. So here we are on a the just first a, podcast. Yeah, first podcast of the uh, of the brand new introductory season. <laughs> uh, so a uh, real quick background on who we are. Who are you, Horse Rubin? Uh, what are I, you doing here? I am... Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. No,
1: I am a filmmaker. Uh, I've been a film in film for 20 plus years. Um, I've done a lot of technical stuff. I've done visual effects on some big films that you may have heard of. And... Uh, the I'm, Hobbit.
0: <laughs> S7. He never likes to name drop, but... As his shameless agent and partner, <laughs> I should always name drop for him. Hobbit, yes. Fast 7. It's true. And, I, and there there are
1: wonderful, wonderful lessons to be learned um, on those types of films. Um, but also, I like to think of myself as a little bit of a creative. And uh, I've you know started this year to push my career in that direction, which is one of the reasons why we're here, is because uh, professionally we are both kind of between the line of that next level.
0: That's right. Um, my name is Drew Hall. I am a uh, five-time feature director, uh, writer, producer. Uh, used to be a DP. Uh, somehow got out of that. Kind of miss it sometimes. And so I've been in the I've been in the business for almost twenty years. Started with a tour video for the Bloodhound Gang, uh, and then we just wrapped uh, a big proof of concept piece that we've been working on for a while. And we're always in development on other projects. So. Uh, yeah, as Horace mentioned, we kind of exist between the line of above and below, both of us having spent lots crew of time. Crew side, yeah. We've been crew side, we've been above the crew side, and we'll talk about it as we go through, but one of the struggles we both have as directors, one of the challenges, I should say, struggles is a negative word, one of the challenges we both have as directors is sometimes remembering what it's like to be crew in the new seat, yeah. but also... Sometimes remembering that we are in the new seat, and sometimes we, you know, you, you, have you to don't make, take advantage of the crew ever, but yeah. sometimes you have to make those challenging yeah. decisions to push that OT day.
1: You have right. you have to make the call that's, you know, going to be best for the film without obviously hurting anyone or damaging anyone or, or taking advantage of somebody, but sometimes... Being liked can't be your first choice. Sometimes it has to be for the uh, the you know the best for the film.
0: And that is by no way an endorsement of being a douchebag. Oh no no no! Do not go through this industry being a douchebag. Yeah. So today's episode, yeah, we're gonna we are a mere thirty well thirty hours. We're about thirty hours away from seeing uh, the little film, a little independent film. You called, may have heard of it. Yeah, called how many how many crap articles have used that joke? Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, we're. 30 hours away from seeing Star Wars, Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Yes. Um, This is more than a film, obviously.
1: And I know this sounds cheesy, but it's true. Um, I know my entire conscious life uh, I've been aware of Star Wars. My mom tells this great story uh, when I was, I don't know, probably like two or three. And my brother, who's older than me, put on the Star Wars soundtrack and the cantina music came on. And I started like, you know singing along to it and my mom's like what is this and my brother's like it's star wars so as this little kid this little two three-year-old kid who's probably you know barely conscious of the world around them star wars is affecting me um permeating me uh, like the force and uh you know it's oh i hate you
0: yeah sorry and uh it's just it's been there it's always been there yeah so it's funny because you bring i didn't know that story yeah i just heard that so Honest to God, my fondest memory. I I, I remember seeing um, Empire in the theater, but I don't remember, I remember being there, but I remember seeing Jedi. Right, so yeah. that's the one I saw uh, where I was alive enough to understand what the hell I was looking at. And when we were leaving the theater, I remember sitting in the back of this. It was a station wagon that had that back seat, the death seat. You know, mm-hmm. when you're facing the back. And as we're driving away, I would put my hands, you know, like like stack my fist on top of each other and put them up to my lips so that I was uh size noodles <laughs> from and from the uh from the band sequence yeah and I would sing I would literally sing the little song from the terrible size noodles so whereas you have a cool story with the cantina band <laughs> with figure and dan I have size noodles who later got cg replaced with you know Brilliant. Jabba's left testicle oh. or something I don't know what the hell that thing was so so, obviously, Star Wars is fandom between the two of us. But just briefly, a I, I kid it affected you. but can you, i mean, where where does it lie in terms of your lexicon of getting you into the business? I mean, did right. it affect you in doing that kind of stuff?
1: Well, you know, of course it did. And I think, you know you look at that and i'm I'm interested in in stories and film. Uh, and Star Wars is definitely my intro into that. but I, I think more than, let's say filmmaking, it really awakened uh, imagination and how fun and fertile imagination can be. Uh, Because here I am, a kid, anywhere between, you know, two and singing the Cantina Band and, you know, now. Uh, And to be able to go in my backyard and pick up a stick and it's suddenly a lightsaber and to be able to, you know, jump into my neighbor's yard and that's Tatooine and then my yard's Hoth and – then create our, create our own characters. You know, it wasn't, it all wasn't just I'm going to be Luke, you're going to be Han. It was I'm going to be this other Jedi that nobody's ever heard of or I'm going to be this other spaceship, you know, pirate that nobody's heard of. And it was this amazing world of imagination. You're allowed to make things up, but it's also shared with all these other people. So it, it was a, a shared creative experience that really has stuck with me and resonated with me ever since.
0: Yeah, it's the same with me. I mean, it—, it I can pinpoint and say with certainty that Star Wars is uh, the film that kind of kicked off my career. It's what made me want to become a filmmaker. Uh, and so we had a VHS camera, and, and I would play with the VHS camera and recreate Star Wars. And my grandfather gave me a Super 8 camera. I didn't know it had film in it, trying to shoot Star Wars, when so I flashed the Mac. <laughs> so it went away. And so like my entire thing has always been recreating Star Wars and wrestling. Uh, if somehow I could have Star Wars and wrestling combined... Into, if I could have Boba Fett be the WWE World Heavyweight Champion, my life would be complete. WWE creative, there you go, free plug. Dwayne, The Rock, Johnson, the Jedi? Yeah, look, I'm all for it. The biggest Jedi there ever was. So, um, you know, Star Wars for me is very influential and it's very near and dear to my heart. I don't protect it as much as some other fans do. I let it, take it for what it is. Like, I don't hate on the prequels. I don't love the prequels. Yeah but I don't hate on them in that kind of sense, which kind of runs into something interesting, a little (laughs) experiment we landed into, right? So you want to kind of kick that off? So so in in preparation for uh, Episode seven, I
1: started thinking, well, I I should go back and relive the Star Wars experience because I realized when thinking about it that uh, I haven't actually seen uh, the prequels in a long time. And I've seen Star Wars and Empire and Jedi kind of, you know, every few years. But I realized I hadn't actually looked at the whole thing as one event, I hadn't, you know, watched, you know, beginning to end any of them. I'd never watched any of the three trilogies together, right? Uh, and I certainly haven't seen all six of them together. While I've seen them all, you know, it just I haven't taken the time to do that. And I figured this would be a great preface to Episode Seven and a good way to, um, you know, explore that creative, you know, the how that narrative and how that creative works going into Seven. Which brings us to the machete
0: edit. Yeah. So when you first said the machete edit a oh, while well back, just briefly, I saw um, uh, oh the actor uh, oh um, gosh I'm blanking. On his, I see his face. Why can't I think of his name? The guy with the tattoo on his chest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Machete. The machete. <laughs> the machete. Yeah. And I was like, well, what does he have to do? Like, I thought it Danny was like Trejo. Was Danny, Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. Thank you. I thought it was like a Danny Trejo thing, like they've done with the uh, the <laughs> gifts of yeah. uh, of uh, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction that they just put Danny Trejo. Actually, that's a great idea. If someone wants to do that, I will gladly post it anywhere I can.
1: Danny Trejo instead of Jar Jar Binks. Yeah.
0: Oh, oh yeah. wait a second. Now we're talking about something amazing. Somebody get on that right away. Do it. The new Machete Edit, Machete 2.0. <laughs> so anyway, so Machete Edit is what you kind of stepped into, right?
1: It, not to be confused with the people who have done the Phantom Edit, where they've actually gone to the act, the films and taken out Jar Jar Binks, and you know people have done a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, this is. The idea behind this is this is the way to narratively watch both trilogies uh, in such a way that makes sense narratively and emotional impact, that sort of thing. So I guess ideally it would be uh, you bring your child to Star Wars for the first time, and this is how they experience watching these films for the first time. And it's a sequence. Uh, The sequence is um, the uh, Star Wars A New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Then you jump to Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, and then finally you watch Return of the Jedi. You will note the absence of um, the uh, the film that shall not be named, The uh, Phantom Menace. Um, and real quick, I think... You know, there's some debate. You know, as to you know the validity of this, and there's already there's already a video out making fun of it, saying, okay, first you need to fast forward to seven minutes in, and then you need to mute the button for the next two seconds, and then you need to jump to five minutes and seventy four seconds of the third. You know, making fun of this idea that you can watch this film, you know, this series in a better way. But briefly, what I think it's supposed to pull off for us is this idea that um, the one of the biggest moments in the film trilogy that really opens it up and really takes it to a new level is when Luke realizes that the big evil, the big bad, Darth Vader, is his father, that moment in the confrontation at the end of Empire. Um, and one of the reasons that we jump to basically what is a flashback at that point is we've just experienced Yoda and Obi-Wan talking about how dangerous the dark side of the force is, but Luke leaves anyway, and how he can't, you know, you know all this stuff about how he can't um, resist the dark side of the force and then luke finds out who his father is and that it is the most evil person in the galaxy and that emotional moment is ruined if you have already watched the first three films because you already know that so the idea is you don't want to ruin that surprise now we go in the flashback and we build on that story
0: but but just mm-hmm. interjecting real quickly if you have never seen star wars yes and you watch in order is it a better story you're talking about
1: one, two, three, four, five The argument is it is not if you haven't seen Star Wars. Interesting, okay. The argument is it is a better story dramatically is if you watch it in this order and consider those two films uh, flashbacks.
0: I guess because in Star Wars, in, in A New Hope, Obi-Wan does say, uh, you know, your father was killed by right, uh, Darth Vader. Well, I don't know, man. It could be that if you think about it, just saying it out loud, mm-hmm. If you've never seen them and you watched them all the way through, don't get me wrong. Phantom Menace is not the strongest, and, and it's not strong. Yeah. <laughs> but if you watch them all the way through, you might actually get this very, pardon the expression, Game of Thrones esque drama, melodrama about it because you're going to have this family going yeah. through it, and it is a family story, arguably showing this entire thing. And now. This all relates back, of course, to Force Awakens and how it affects the family. So, exactly. All right. So the idea is you go out of order. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, but I that's fine. And I, I, I think that's there. a valid point. The idea that it is this,
1: you know, generational so if you're a virgin, thing. I would
0: argue, if you're a Star Wars virgin and you, and you are uh, completely unaware of it and have never seen a Star Wars film, um, you have to stick through it and you have to make the commitment. But if you watch all six in chronological. Uh, or whatever it is, uh, episode, or, order. episode order, if you watch them in episodic order, you might actually have a um, a Netflix-style uh, binging marathon on your hands. But yeah, Potentially. That is what a lot of people against the machete edit will argue. And I don't know. Look,
1: I'm not there yet. I have just finished um, Attack of the Clones last night. So I watched Star Wars the first night. And then I wanted to watch, you know, I wanted to see the the demarcation between the two films. So I watched Empire Strikes Back and then Attack of the Clones back to back. Um, and it, it, it was really cool on some aspects because, you know, I'm, I'm getting back into this nostalgia of um, while Star Wars and Empire are, are big films, to a certain degree, they're also very intimate. Right. So if you think about it, you just start with this, you know, little farmer. And there's, there's very little around them. It's very sparse. It's very small. And a very and they drink blue juice. And they do. And they blue do. milk. <laughs> and it's a, a story that, you know, pulls you in the way a lot of stories do by relating to somebody who isn't um, big. Uh, whereas then you jump into, like, you know, the other films. And there's huge, you know, the, like millions of ships going everywhere and all the CG coming out the wazoo. Um, and I kind of liked being led to that eventually and getting to that point eventually. Um, I don't so know where it's going to lead.
0: It's a it's a reverse funnel. You're small yeah. going outward. You're you're exactly. pushing the narrative through that, and then it's it's kind of, it's kind of a shotgun uh, storytelling method, right? Inside the barrel, a shotgun, yeah, right. The, the pellets or whatever are contained, but as soon as they release that barrel, just they just scatter yeah. everywhere. Which is exactly kind of the approach here, is that it just scatters and goes. Because even even Jedi is is a big feeling. The the final space battle alone it's is a amazing. lot of ships, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. tremendous amount of ships in the in the and the story structure is really, really, really neat. Um so how did it hold up for you since you're kind of the uh, to backtrack real quick, I'm not watching any of them. Yeah, well I'm staying, why aren't you? Yeah, Tell right. us about So them. I'm staying completely clean from this entire process. I've decided to approach this with 110% nostalgia factor. I'm going off me, uh, knowing the lines wrong. And I don't care what people say. You probably have a line wrong. Um, I'd I, say for Boba Fett's infamous, what, five lines <laughs> of dialogue? Yeah. Uh, so he's no good to me, dad. Um, so, you know, I'm approaching it from a different perspective, which is to say I'm going in purely nostalgic, right? Also, on top of that, just a little side note, uh, you may or may not know this because I bought your tickets. Uh, I We're going to see it in 3D. Oh, joy. And the reason why we're going to see it in 3D is because 3D is a gimmick that is akin to beer goggles for me for for cinema. Meaning, you know, we all know the word beer goggles. It applies to to, to any sex, right? Mm-hmm. To anybody going anywhere. You have sometimes had too many cocktails, and what seems like a great idea um, looks great at the moment, you and might then maybe find, it's different uh, later. in the morning right? you're trying to gnaw your arm so, off. <laughs> right. To not so wake you up you have set yourself up to at least get into the picture and enjoy it in the moment. Drunk behind the the parallax. Um, so, what does that work for you? So, what what about three D that makes it because a beer it bomb? is a gimmick? It actually removes the idea from me for whatever reason. Putting those on doesn't it, it prevents me from thinking about it as a filmmaker, which right. is my number one problem. Going to see any movie ever is I'm always battling to turn my brain off. It takes a really good film to for me to turn my brain yeah. off and not try and learn. It's not being a cr- critical asshole. It's just trying to learn from the perspective of if someone has done something that is interesting and has done well and has caught the attention of others, I study it to understand what can I learn from it. So it yeah. allows me to do that. 3D for some reason blocks that part of me. No, a little bit will still be there, but it, it reduces the amount, right? right.
1: It's funny because 3D has the reverse effect on me, and that's because of the technical background. I um, spent a lot of time experimenting with 3D, um, on, um, on Hobbit and the lead-up to Hobbit, um, trying to figure out miniatures, which we didn't end up shooting. Uh, then these camera rigs, because we had to shoot the this, this slave motion control things. so we're having to run two stereo rigs at the same time, and then we're having to figure out, you know, the parallax, the I.O., and how long you exist with parallax at this, and how that affects the eye. And, you know, I did a lot of research on it and a lot of technical stuff. And as well, I do make the argument, I know a lot of people think it's a gimmick or think of it like a gimmick, some people say eventually this might could be another compositional element, you know. Some people used to think. Oh no,
0: there's no doubt. James uh, James Cameron's avatar is proof of that in my right. opinion.
1: I mean it's it's still being developed into a film
0: language. So it I doesn't don't know always if have to be the pickaxe, like the what exactly. was the, the the My Bloody Valentine, the yeah. pickaxe to the I don't need a lightsaber pointing straight right. at him. that doesn't do anything for me. Um I just mean it for something about it just removes yeah. this idea. It's not um, in our it's not in our usual film language, right? And it yeah. And it could be that I'm I'm physically having to focus on my eyes not hurting and watering. Yeah. I mean, quite literally, but it's something for me personally. So I get it. You're yeah. the opposite. And I apologize. No,
1: no, it's it's fine. It's totally fine.
0: But I figured for me, if I can see it removed best I can, we're going to see it again. Yeah. And then I thought when we see it again, we'll go in and I'll have my little notepad like I like to do. Um, to take notes and get ideas because when it when something strikes I have to write it down so you know that was my approach yeah um all right so back to machete to get back on topic again okay. so I'm not watching machete I'm going in pure nostalgia i am i am going to a wing pilot it and hopefully not crash directly into the uh, service tower on a Super Star destroyer uh Tycho is his name and uh, <laughs> yeah because I'm a dork and so Horst is jumping in with machete order he's coming in like a jedi blazing with calculations and plans in play
1: yeah, well, Fair Narrative. I'm trying I'm trying to see if if the narrative is more impactful, and I I will say, for me, watching uh, Attack of the Clones last night was more impactful for me than watching it as a standalone film or in the context of the of the you know the the prequel trilogy. Um, seeing it right after I saw um, the. Uh, um, Empire Strikes Back, right after I saw the introduction of Yoda, which is a lot more powerful, and a lot, to me, at least. One of the things that was uh, really powerful for me in um, Attack of the Clones was Yoda's character. Uh, and I know he's not the main character and it's about, you know, the fall of Darth Vader and Anakin and all that, but you have to remember just before I started um, Attack of the Clones, we saw Yoda, with the introduction. And if you remember, Yoda's very, like, Childlike, almost like a drunk hobo when you first meet him. He's, like, stealing stuff, and he's, like, fighting with R2-D2. And it, it, when I first saw it, it was a little bit jarring because this is one of the things you are saying, Drew. We get lines wrong. You live in nostalgia. I didn't remember Yoda being quite that buffoonish because he is quite buffoonish in that in, right. uh, initial moment.
0: No, he's a goofball. Yeah. He's a total goofball.
1: But then – this is weird. Then not weird. It's it it it's a testament to Frank Oz and his puppetry. There's that moment when um, Luke is being very impatient to meet uh, the the Jedi Yoda, right? And he's like, "Take me to him. Take me to him. Take me to him." And
0: Yoda's face just sinks, I, right? And then when it sinks, it's not a CG sink. It, We're talking about still it, being a puppet. It's a puppet. But you have a
1: I've, yeah. I I you know emo- There's an emotional register for me when I saw that, and it was Yoda going, you know, saying he's 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 too. He's too impatient. He'll fall to the dark side. You know, it's it's this, and they're, um, you know, it's like, well, why is he, you know, the cool thing is you see this transformation in Yoda into a serious character, and you get the idea that he's playing around. You kind of get the idea that this is a test. And to, to shorten this up a little bit, right after that, before Luke leaves, basically Yoda and Obi-Wan are pleading with him not to go. Two of the supposed wisest creatures in the galaxy are pleading with this kid, don't go. You're gonna be an idiot. You're gonna get turned to the dark side. You don't understand the dark side. You don't get how powerful this is. You don't get how dangerous this is. And he goes anyway, and he gets his you know hand chopped off. And then we jump into Attack of the Clones, and we see this Yoda who's actually a lot more um, naive. Towards all the stuff, you know, he knows there's dark side. It's still the wise Yoda, but all this stuff is happening below him and beneath him and around him that he's not seeing. He's not seeing that Palpatine is is the, the Emperor and a Sith. He doesn't see the
0: clone army happening.
1: All this stuff is happening around well, him. Well, I have a theory. Oh, do you think? Uh...
0: I go with a theory called Yoda knows. Oh, you think Yoda knows? So I believe, uh, not to skew the rest of your no, machete edit, but uh, I believe that Yoda knows and has known. Um, I think that Yoda saw this all coming and I, and and you have to go back, to, I think it's Phantom is where mm-hmm. I first drew, was able to draw the lines. It's been a while since I've done this whole thesis. Yeah, uh, It was a coffee shop speech right? Yeah. But uh, I, in this coffee shop speech I had it drawn out fairly clearly with evidence to show that Yoda knows the entire time that this is going to happen because he realizes there needs to be a balance in the force. It has gotten to the point where the Jedi are so uh, in control that there is no other balance to offset said control and therefore um, you know, he's waiting for this moment, this balance to occur, which is Vader and Luke, essentially. Right. Um, bringing balance back to the Force and putting in that position. So uh, just a side note on it, if you ever think about it, uh, it consider forget, it the idea. We are
1: unbalanced in Empire because we have two very strong sets. Correct. I'm talking about
0: prequels. With, and,
1: and, and that was that sort of, yeah, see, I'll, I'll look at that. But I find Yoda's character a lot more interesting and powerful for some reason. Yeah, sure. Going through it like this.
0: Look, if this holds up, I don't know. Look... So my bigger question, which is interesting you said that, what does hold up? So we get narrative cues because you're experiencing the narrative side. But I mean, from a creatively technical standpoint... What doesn't hold up? What doesn't hold up
1: is a a better way of... There's a huge, huge shift, obviously, in the way the film looks between between Empire and clones. There's a huge shift. Um, And part there's you know I don't know if you've heard the term uncanny Valley it's that thing where things are trying to em, uh, emulate reality but aren't quite there so we we find them creepy we find them off-putting most, like the, most
0: commonly used in robotics robotics right? yeah. or
1: you know think about those little ceramic dolls that some people love and some people find absolutely horrifying uh, it's there's this you know they're they're close to reality but far enough away to be really off-putting um, and I think look it I can't critique the guy because, you know, number one, he created this amazing thing that's affected me so much. But I think perhaps George Lucas um, tried to do something that the technology wasn't quite ready to do. Um, And there's just so much over-the-top CG. um, And, you know, it's 10 years down the road. And it doesn't hold up. And, you know, of course, there's things in, you know, bad um, VFX that don't hold up from Star Wars. just stop motion animation. Some of the miniatures don't look good. Some of them look great. So we'll always have this argument about VFX not holding up over time. But it was such a stark contrast and such a difference. And um, the language of the cinema, the cinematography, the film, the way they shot it was different. And I think that's probably the biggest jarring thing for me because – there was a, an eloquence, and there was uh, just this sim- like a cinematic simplicity to the way they shot uh, the s- shot structure, the you know the the choice of lens, all that for Empire for Star Wars, um, an efficiency, but still cinematic, still powerful. And you get into what I call you know like video game cinematography when we start getting into. Um, Attack of the Clones, where it's you know three D camera camera moves, yeah, it flies, it does all these absolutely impossible things just because you can, or maybe it was his actual thought process. I don't know. Maybe that's what he wanted to see to begin with, Um, and. Me personally, because I've been in the film industry for 20 years and I've been watching films for 40 years or a little bit less, um, that's not my film language, right? That's not what I grew up. When I think of a film, I don't see those kind of camera moves. Now, the younger generations who grew up maybe on video games will like that kind of stuff more. And it's not that they're wrong and I'm right or anything like that. It's just
0: the language we know. It gets in the same theory about editorial. like When you get into post and, and you start having those cut points, I always felt like the original trilogy from an editing standpoint was a very clean edit process. There mm-hmm. was very clean cuts. You had your wipes, but they were used very tactfully. Uh, and, and things were the, the cross cuts were so clean because I, I imagine they're still cutting negative, which you yeah. know is, is a lost art in, in some ways. And they're still cutting negative. So you, you know, at least to me, when I cut negative, we only had one. Yeah. We didn't get, we weren't, we don't never screw had screw this up, but don't screw it up. So you were very conscious of the edit. Um, and I, I still subscribe to that idea is, is treating even digital material that way. So, I think maybe when they jump to the next one, they're able to kind of explore processes a little bit more. It's the same way um, The Hobbit was shot. The Hobbit was digital, but Lord of the Rings was filmed, correct? That's correct. Okay, so maybe it's the same process in that. There's a little more thought that goes into, you know, prints are expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm assuming it could be complete and total crap. Uh, it could be baloney coming from my lips. Uh-huh. and but, but anyway, so I think the editorial side in the original trilogy versus the new is is another thing I'm curious to see. It's also a mild bit of fear for me going into episode seven <laughs> because several of the things you just brought up, based on only footage we've seen in the trailer, there'll be no spoilers uh-huh. in this podcast, but just on the footage I've seen in the trailer, there were a few of those modern camera or modern cinematic moments um again those are trailer shots yeah. and how i don't know how many people out here have actually cut a trailer or had one of their films cut as a trailer you might remember well that's not the best angle that's they, you, they put in the the high whiz bang stuff yeah so get
1: get your attention the, the point Absolutely. of a trailer is to get your attention
0: right so you know that's what we see in these so we have these really you know some of those shots like with the with the what is it the new x-wings the t70 i think it's called it you know and I know what that's what it's called, but it (laughs) mounted to the side, you know, you have the camera mounted to the side, kind of giving that sort of um, GoPro feel, GoPro feel, which is a very interesting thing, uh, is that the language, you know, so it's, 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 you're a very, you're in a very cool spot with this machete thing, because you're experiencing both sides of it. And then you're going to get thrown into a continuation, essentially, of, of the. Not just the narrative, but essentially of, of the filmmaking process of exact Star Wars. Exact filmmaking process, the technology, all that sort of stuff is right. um, is is new, and I, I'm I'm excited about that because I'm, you
1: know, being a technician, being a filmmaker, creative, and being a fan. I'm also a little bit of a um, like an academic film nerd as well. I did a, did my masters in film. Not that that will ever get you a job in filmmaking. Do not think that it only makes you a film wanker such as myself. Uh, but I also approaching it from that standpoint, and that's why sometimes I'll use winky terms. So I'm sorry if I do.
0: No, let me say so. Uh, so episode seven. Yeah. So we're going into episode seven. Uh, are we done? Are we done talking about the machete yet? I'm cool think? with the machete edit. I, no. I just I'll, I'll let you know how it goes because I don't know how this is going to end up. Yeah. No. That's going to be part of the yeah. the follow up yeah, exactly. to this. We'll be, you know, in our Star Wars uh, Christmas special. Yeah. Which was hopefully not as bad as the original Star Wars Christmas special. Um, but it it does lead into yeah. that sort of sort of thing. I
1: will say one quick thing that really stood out for me going from Empire to Clones is uh, <clears throat> that comedy. Like, of course, Empire and Star Wars had bits of funny stuff, and you have Yoda being a goofball and being really silly, and then you got the Ewoks, of course, in Jedi. But um, it was, you know, the the, the the those comedic one lines and all that sort of stuff felt more out of character
0: was it more cartoonish?
1: It was a lot more cartoonish you know because
0: yeah, I've always likened the Clone Wars weirdly mm. uh, attack of the Clones to the Clone Wars cartoon yeah. which gets a little bit of a pass because it was originally made for you know children and, and as an adult I just happened to really dig the story and it has that kind of cartoonish yeah uh, buffoonish buffoonish it's, yeah.
1: yeah and yeah. there's a big jump between Empire and uh, um, and clones watching it that was a little bit of a start. but I did I do think like I said I enjoyed clones more watching it this way. But we'll see how
0: it ends up. Moving on to 7 though. All right, so here we are, episode 7. Episode we are seven. now, you know, still hanging in the 30 m- minus 30 hours yeah. now. Uh window. Um What are your expectations? Or, or do you have any? Do you not want to have? I mean, cuz well, I mean I, I have theories, but I don't I have a, a lot of speculation, so you, you've stayed pretty pretty good about being spoiler-free for the most part, yeah. aside from the general speculation that I've we have in the office. I've entertained some of the
1: speculation, but I'm trying to avoid actual spoilers.
0: So I, I, have, a, I have a bit more speculation in my mind. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have some fears. Yeah. Um, it has nothing to do with J.J. Abrams. I feel like he's probably the best director for it, I, I you know, next to me, of course. Um, or you. Yeah. Or both of us. yeah. yeah. Um, but I think JJ was the right choice. I just have a few fears in the sense that, you know, one of the things about JJ, if you look at his pattern of product, he always kind of comes in and not, not reboots, but revamps it. And, and basically on the old Nintendo system, he's the reset button on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, even his television, even though he might introduce, so lost, right. As a new series, but that was such a strong pilot that it launched. The series really well, and I think he's really good about launching series. So I have he's a little a setup bit of guy. He's a setup guy. Yeah. I have a little bit of fear that it's going to be a little bit of a setup, and in a weird way, maybe following a structure from one of the other films closely. Now yeah. I can't confirm any of that. Yeah. I'm just going off images. I see a girl that looks a lot like Luke on a desert planet with a yeah, little you robot. See, you see that in the yeah exactly. I mean, right. there okay. Just from the trailers, not spoilers. There are.
1: Absolutely going to be, you know, uh, tra- the the like the direct kind of representation, right. right? You've got the young guy who doesn't know that he's going to be a Jedi, and he holds up, you know, okay, great. You've got the, you know, you've got these direct characters kind of coming through. You've got the R two D two replacement, right? Um, uh, you've got uh, that pilot character
0: that you keep seeing a couple
1: times talking to him uh, in the trailer. Code Dameron. yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be a Han Solo type character just from looking at that. Yeah, kind um, of
0: a hero, hero. Yeah. You know, he doesn't need a journey. Exactly, he's already there, right?
1: Um, and then you know, you've got your your big bads. You know, your Darth. I mean, look, it's a guy in a black suit with a um with a red lightsaber.
0: Yeah, but the the caveat for me is going to be Andy Serkis, the Serkis, 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 like the Snoke's, right, or something. Snoke, uh, something Snoke, uh, Supreme Leader Snoke. Man. And and the thing with him that makes me nervous is, first off, Andy Serkis is an insanely good actor yeah Um, he's brilliant and he brings pixels to life yeah that's what he does and he does it to make it feel real Uh, Planet of the Apes Dawn of the Rise of the Monkeys Planets whatever the second one floored completely so I think that he will do a great job in the performance side but I always get a little nervous when you start you know the all
1: we, CG character. Yeah,
0: They always make me, you know, that's a lot, that's yeah. a lot of energy that has to go into it. And if he's not the primary focus of the film, then that's where the a potential for a corner cut to occur is yeah. as dumb as that sounds. It's just, if it's not the, the primary driving force behind the picture and he's not, um, as far as we know, yeah. uh, going off trailers, yeah, we've never yeah. seen him. So yeah. I'm sure it's a safe for a reveal. Um, so I, the the CG could throw me off, and I don't want to harp on the cinematography. I actually want to yep. praise it. Some of the stuff I've seen in the trailer, that shot of the Tie Fighters, it's straight out of Top Gun. The Michael Bay Tie Fighter shot. Oh my God, yep. I'm yep. so in. I'm <laughs> so in on that. Uh, just as a cinematographer, it's yeah. beautiful seeing an un an object that does not exist look that cinematic. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, I um. Look, I'm also very hesitant about how excited I get about the uh, trailers. And I think every time uh, you and I watch one of the trailers together, I get excited. And then I very much I'm like, okay, well, you know, calm down. You remember what happened the last time you got this excited. And you you hear that echoed from a lot of people. But I really look, you know, I'm looking at this trailer and it just it it looks good. It looks different. And, you know, I have a little bit of a—I've uh, told you this, I think, once or twice, but I'll remind you. Uh, I have, like, a personal connection. We're talking about, you know, professional fandom. Um, I was working on Fast and Furious 7. I worked for uh, Weta Digital at the time, and we were doing some um, some groundbreaking visual effects stuff. And we were in Abu Dhabi filming. And uh, there happened to be another filmmaking crew just starting in Abu Dhabi as we were leaving, and that happened to be the Episode Seven Star Wars film crew, filming some of their first scenes. Uh, and, you know, it's that thing. There's a there's a bond. Like um, you meet somebody that does something similar to you, and there's almost always some sort of bond. And in filmmaking, it's that way too, especially crew side. So it's a Friday. Everybody's had a long week. A lot of people are down in the pool having some beers. And it's like, oh, oh you know, you, you hear people talking movie lingo, and you're like, oh, it's, it's another crew, and you start talking. And they were, you know, their, their crew – they're all obviously professionals, otherwise they wouldn't be working on it. But they still had that fandom sort of twinkle in their eye. Look, it might have been because they were just starting. You know, these are the, the, I think it was the first week of production. Um, But they, they were so excited to be there and like, this This is really cool. Yeah, this is really amazing. I can't talk too much about it, but it's really cool. It's really amazing. And that was the other thing. Normally, like, you know, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you talk, yeah, right, yeah, and, and it breaks down. It but, always does. Yeah, people. Yeah. But, man, they were surprisingly tight-lipped. I think there were some you know, now that's, but I think, threats to family or yeah, something. Yeah, but I
0: also think that's out of respect. Yeah, true. Because we, I think anyone who touched that picture in any capacity from from, uh, crafty to cinematography to whatever department they may have been in, mm-hmm. I believe they had an instant level of respect in play for the entire audience which is a really cool thing. I wish all films could be that way. I wish we yeah. could always have that same thing and it's not just work it's not just Merck work it is something that you can connect to it'd be great if we lived in a world where every project you touched was something you cared about yeah uh it personally and and that it you knew the responsibility behind it now it's not to, to quote jj abram's wife it's not curing cancer right i mean that that's from her but it is important to a lot of people and it does inspire a lot of people and that's important yeah. so i think i think maybe they held on to that as as opposed to um well, also Disney lawyers. The, the, um, D- Disney lawyers must be awesome. The man, beasts. Wow. Right? Yeah. Well, I
1: know that like they took some, t- took some extraordinary measures. Like um, there were, uh, I was talking to people, there were um, stormtroopers. And when the stormtroopers would go to the lunch line, before they could be released from the set or from costuming, like when they had to like mingle with anybody else, extras, Um, anything that might be somebody that isn't on this closed-type set that might have a camera or something like that, they garbage bagged them. So these poor guys in these Stormtrooper outfits would have to
0: have garbage bags over them so you couldn't take pictures of the um, new Stormtrooper outfit. Well, the costume designer wife of mine would also tell you that's because, you know, background uh, is notorious for spilling uh, shit on the shirts. That's true, too. she says. And so then, yeah, but I mean, sure. These beautiful white things, and they're like... Every day we had spaghetti. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so it's like, whose idea was this to have barbecue one day and lasagna, spaghetti, and lasagna, yeah. anything red and messy that could stain? Uh, we eat that on stormtrooper days. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm sure it was plastic. It just wiped right off. They just got some spick and span and just psh, 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 and just scrubbed it right down. Yeah. So, what about you? What you have any fears for seven? I mean, what is your?
1: Um. Yeah. I, oh i'm i want to put myself in the right headspace to you know those beer goggles you were talking about with the 3d glasses i want to put myself in the right headspace for that i want to find what my beer goggles are um i had an experience when you know i worked on the hobbit uh, i was a fan of lord of the rings and you know when i came to the hobbit and i watched it i had to i was c- confronted with this thing right um I'm watching it and things are happening that break reality right you know bilbo falls you know 50 feet down a cliff but he can get up and run away right um they, they're swinging on this giant thing and they're all it looks like they're surfing and nobody's falling and you know these things that break physics but you know it's, it's a film about wizards and hobbits why do i care about that right um and what i found for myself is there is this invitation for filmmakers and films where they invite you to feel like you can inhabit a world. And often that world is similar to our own, right? So um, if, like, Spider-Man or the Marvel movies, it's New York. But there just happen to be these people with superpowers, and we accept the superpowers, right? Um, cartoons as well. Um, I, I have cried my eyes out watching some cartoons, Right. right absolutely just hit me in the gut but it's a cartoon it's not it's, there's nothing real about it right it's a drawn thing it's not correct report all that sort of stuff but somehow i enter that world and i can engage with it emotionally and for me personally at least if Somehow, I, I believe that I'm being invited that to that I could step foot into this world, like I, you know, like with Marvel stepping foot into New York, or with the first um, um, Hobbit, uh, with the first Lord of the Rings trilogy and the first film fellowship. You know, it felt like a place I could go to, and the, it felt like the filmmaker was inviting me into that world. With Hobbit, I kind of at first I thought I was being invited into a world that I could inhabit, but yet it was very cartoonish. And had I got into, gone into it really feeling and expecting and thinking of a cartoon, thinking of, you know, like a slapstick comedy that has no sense in reality, or, you know, not that it was that, but if I could have put myself in that mindset, then I wouldn't have been pulled out of the film as much, at least I think. So I just want to make sure I'm in the right headspace for that. And that's another reason for the machete edit, because I'm seeing the whole world you know, Ewoks to Jar Jar to, you know, Han Solo to, you know, Darth Vader, all this whole world, and I'm trying to put myself in the mindset, this is the world I'm going to inhabit. And I think if J.J. Abrams did a good job, I can come out of this world and, uh, you know, out of those th- the films that I'm watching, five films I'm watching now, and set foot straight into right. episode seven, not feel pulled out, like I'm sure a lot of us were with Jar Jar Binks and the farting thing and the, all that weird stuff that pulled us out of the, the – Prequel trilogy because we had set up a world before that, right? And we wanted to go back into that world, and this was a different world. And I think that was my big problem with the prequel uh, trilogy, and that is my big thing that I'm trying to set up with
0: Episode Seven is to be ready to enter that world. Forty-one minutes, the official marker. First movie that pops in your head that's a comedy. Go. Um, you're taking way too long. I know. I just I blanked. Uh, Mr. Bean.
1: I was thinking of Mr. Bean earlier.
0: Weird. That, like before when I was talking about comedy, you know? And yeah, I, I was said, thinking about Mr. Bean. There. That's that's <laughs> really? really? Seriously. That's kind of creepy. Like Mr. Bean was what popped in my head. That's really yeah, weird. Yeah, the 41-minute mark. Yeah. That's a thing now. The,
1: no, uh, any, any movie or just any comedy? Any
0: comedy, just 41-minute mark. You kind of ruined it. I mean, I you did, just, I uh, did. Well, I wasn't if you expecting. would have been talking, I would have interrupted you and jumped right in and been like, 41 minutes. What's the uh, best comedy that popped in your head? Oh, that's good. Um, you can't think about it. You just got to react off over it. <laughs> and the funny part is, you could say Attack of the Clones. I could have said that. And Attack. it's kind of relevant. It's kind of relevant. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, troops. Oh, that's good. Yeah, but you thought through it. I did. Yeah, but you're not supposed to think through it, especially just react to it. Yeah, but my mind went blank, so I had to get my, something back in my head. No, There's nothing. Nothing's funny to you. You're a depressed That's jar true. bell. Is that That's the true. name? What's the name of that book? The Jar Bell? I, th- I don't know. The Bell? The Bell Jar. That's it. Yeah. Isn't that a depressing book? I don't know. I've never heard it. it. I, I haven't either because I heard it was depressing. I can look it up. No, there's no reason. to All right. So we're going in. Uh, let's talk about what we're going to do here. So what we're okay. going to end up doing is we're going to go see uh, episode seven. Yeah. We're going to see The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. TFA. Um... We're going to catch the movie. We're going to immediately report a, record a podcast the next day. We're going to allow ourselves some time to let it sink in a little bit so we have coherent thoughts. We will have spoiler notices all over it if we want. Yeah. At that point, it's kind of fair to yeah. go to go that game. Or not. We'll determine it as we get there. But either way, we'll let you guys know. You know what we could do? Yeah. I'm just saying. We could mix it where the left side will have us talking about
1: spoilers and the right side will have... <laughs> That's innovation. The no, yeah. you know, so, so it's so. mono... Yeah, so You
0: get spoilers. Whenever sure. we get to a spoiler, it just goes to the go, left Go side. to the right side and you'll get non-spoilers. Yeah. Go just to, pull your earphones yeah. out. Exactly. Um, yeah, one way. We'll figure out something to give you guys a heads up on what the spoilers are going to be or wh- where they will be in terms of the podcast. Maybe we'll try and save them and do a general in the first and give you a warning yeah. and kind of go forward from there. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of... This is a little bit different one because it was an intro in and we felt like Star Wars is a great example. Most people I know that work in the industry are excited about seeing the movie. Absolutely, um, I think everyone in the world is excited about seeing the movie. One quick little side note I'm curious about. So the current box office record mm-hmm. in the world is Avatar at $2.8 billion. Billion with a dollars. B. With a B. And so do you think, looking at it, uh, do you think that Star Wars has a chance, The Force Awakens has a chance to beat that record?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they spent far too much money in advertising. I mean, literally, I can't walk outside without tripping over something that's Star Wars. I bought water bottles, like, you know, like just, you know, some water bottles to drink out of that were Star Wars themed. Uh, it's everywhere. So I think just by the sheer, you know, inundation of, hey, go see this, hey, go see this, hey, go see this, I think it will. Um the big test will be if it's good enough for people to really want to go see repeats. That's really what's going to send it over the edge. Um, and look, uh, you know, this topic for another show is the accounting in Hollywood. It is it is the most creative part of all filmmaking. <laughs> it's accounting. totally
0: the most creative part, especially on the distribution side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I, I do, too. I think it actually will. I think it'll be close. I think it's going to be like if it does, it'll be 2.8, it'd be 2.9 or something like yeah. that. It's just going to nudge up to it. Um, if you think about Jurassic World being number, I think it's number two. And it's like a full billion dollars behind a full yeah. bill, well, like 1.2 billion behind. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, Avatar earned. Nearly three billion. Star Wars needs to do that now. Is it going to do it in sales of merchandise and everything else? Absolutely, oh, yeah. it's done. Probably right. already has it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I read something or some. I saw something or someone told me the other day there are four thousand individual licensed products for Star Wars. Four thousand. That is insane. That is a tremendous amount. Again, that's what Star Wars created. So it's it's only relevant that they take it to the next level. Uh the last little bit on on this, and we'll jump out of here is. What impact do you think Star Wars is going to have on cinema going forward? And I don't mean visual effects because we've seen most of the stuff yeah. we're going to see in this. Well, no, I think actually I do think it'll have an effect on visual effects because
1: uh, if it's successful. Because one of the things supposedly that J.J. Abrams did, and I have you know talked to a few people, uh, is that he is trying to do a lot more practical in-camera effects with CG augmentation. Um, so, whereas there was that scene in *Clone Wars* where Amadala fell in the sand and two clone troopers came up to her, could have been real guys, but instead George Lucas decided to make them CG characters. Um, the the opposite uh, was, you know, what they was the methodology methodology that they chose to do on this film, and that's to do as much real in camera stuff as possible. Uh, now, that's also a sales pitch, and you know, I promise you, it isn't all in camera, and there's things that they want you to think is in camera that isn't. I mean, they are, of course, doing things like that. But um, there was a lot more uh, puppetry, and you get rid of the wires. Um, People in suits, and you get rid of their legs, as opposed to, um,
0: you know, putting a whole new thing in there. Uh, So maybe there's more removal. Then there is maybe there's more there's more VFX in that space that we're we're looking at more removal than addition. Well,
1: it's a different methodology. Yeah. It's it's as opposed to I'm going to put in a lamp here that is full CG. Um, that it's I'm going to put in a real lamp and then the hand that comes in and turns the lamp on and off I'm going to take out with CG. So it's a C, CG augmentation with something that is really there. Uh, that's what they say they're doing. I've heard that that's what they're doing, and if it really hits, it really takes off. Um one would would imagine you'd see kind of like going back to that because we've kind of hit this this thing in cg where it's like big um, you know as much cg as you can get in one second and things blowing up and and you know it's getting to a point where people like uh you know we've had enough of that let's let's pull back from that so i think it will have that effect my prediction is we will in the next five years start to see more of what can we put on camera as opposed to what can we put in there with CG.
0: No, it's good. I, I, Me, personally, I'm hoping it comes from a narrative place, and we end up seeing a little bit more of a um, – uh, what's the term I'm looking for? More of a creative direction going towards uh, original ideas. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars is still an original idea. It's a continuation of the same idea. It is an original idea. I would very much like to see um, – Maybe it's another, it's, it's the dawn of more science fiction and we can step away from superhero movies somewhat and we can see original content uh, gain more access to the population. Um, and so original content maybe has more meaning and yeah. IPs have more meaning and, and things grow in, in that space. And that's the other side of, for me, that's my hope and that's how I'm closing out. Um, the Force Awakens for me, hoping that the Force is original content. Yeah, I,
1: I agree with that. Uh, I, I, I'd like to see that as well. All right, so that's
0: that's the Star Wars side of things. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what we have coming up, hopefully, our, our
1: AFM special?
0: Yeah, okay. So uh, Horst and I went to AFM, and and it was kind of the birth point of this podcast. And the idea of us going to AFM uh, was purely business. But while we were kind of researching how long do we go for And what the, there's 10,000 different things, and, and there's been a lot of great advice but we kind of wanted to give an experience on the ground being there, having never been. Completely virgin territory for the two of us, so we step into it and and present it, right? So we attempted to record podcasts each and every day. We were there to kind of give you a highlight. We went for a full week. Um, and we'll give notes on what what our final takeaways are and we'll kind of give that in an upcoming episode but we do have coming out uh, kind of our AFM special that kind of covers it and you're gonna hear very we're gonna take the best off but you're gonna hear very raw very real conversations um, about AFM and what we saw and experienced from two filmmakers point of view who were there with a product to sell that we had already had meetings set for but to also pitch new products and to kind of experience it for the first time and we're sorry if it isn't like the best production value for a podcast, because as Drew
1: said, you know, it's between the line. Right there. We're between the line of creating this podcast and the job of being a filmmaker and trying to sell a film, trying to get a film to market, trying to get people interested in some of your other projects that you have coming up. And um, you know, sometimes when you you know, you ride those lines, you fall to one side or the other. And I think at AFM we definitely, you know, went more the route of, Oh God, we gotta do this, we gotta sell this, we gotta go meet there, we gotta and the podcast, we didn't record every day, but um, we, we did quite a bit. I think it'll be
0: – I think it'll be uh, hopefully uh, give you guys some insight into how some of this stuff works. So, yeah. So that's kind of uh, where we're going, and we'll have interviews along the way. We have some uh, some really cool interviews planned uh, with both cruise side and above the line and then with some vets, some guys that have been around and gals that have been around in the business for a while. They provide a tremendous amount of insight into it, um, and we just want to kind of make it an encouragement session in the sense of, yeah, we know that there are the J.J. Abrams of the world, and their interviews are cool because you can take away stuff from it, but there are also people that are working consistently, that are making a living where um, the success, their success isn't defined as being the biggest name in Hollywood. Their success is being defined as having a consistent uh, paycheck. That's not just scrounging, which kind of leads into the question of the week that we kind of wanted to pose to everybody um, who may or may not be listening yet. But we kind of wanted to throw it out and say, where do you go to find work? Yeah. How do you find work? How, how do you find work in the film industry? And share maybe your insights and, and fire some stuff over to us. And, you know, you can shoot an email. Um, we'll have that in the show notes. Yeah, And it could be it could be either way. It can be how do
1: you find work? as a technician or how do you find work being a creative filmmaker right how
0: do you find work in the film industry absolutely and so we'll have uh the show notes up you can always go to frame 29films.com uh you'll find a link for the show notes on on there and we will have an email address where you can fire some stuff over uh and give topics and, and whatever else we may have um so until then uh stay frosty stay sharp keep working